Galatians chapter 4. We're actually going to begin at the last verse of Galatians chapter 3, where the Bible says, And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, most of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the fact that God gave a special promise uh, to Abraham uh, and to Sarah that their offspring, their seed, their son, um, and their, through their lineage would come a child that would bless the entire world. And that was a prophecy, of course, concerning Christ who would come through Abraham. So he's talking about that, and he says, and if you're Christ, if you belong to him, if you're saved, if you're Christ, then are you Abraham's seed? You're actually a fulfillment of that promise to Abraham, and heirs according to the promise. And then let's continue into verse 1 of chapter 4. Now I say that the heir, so he's going to tell us an illustration about an heir. Now, he said in verse 29 that you are heirs. If you're saved, you're an heir of this promise. But in verse 1 of chapter 4, that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. You get the picture that someone who's a child, they may be the heir of a kingdom, but as long as they're a child, they're no different than a servant, no different because because they've not yet uh, been promoted to that place even though technically they're Lord of all. Verse 2, but, talking about this child, is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, Paul writes, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son here's that word again, than an heir of God through Christ. Now, the focus of our message this morning will be taken from verse 4, and the simple phrase, God sent forth His Son. This passage is about the birth of Christ. It's about the incarnation. It's about God sending His Son. But it's also about the fulfillment of, and the timing of this promise that he had given thousands of years previous to this. But it's also about the sonship relationship that those of us who are saved have with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pray and ask God to bless as we get into his word today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this special time of the year. Thank you that we can celebrate today even in the midst of difficulty and heartbreak and heartache and sorrow and physical challenges and various kinds of problems, we can rejoice and celebrate because of what we read about in our text and of what we focus on during this time of the year. We know, Lord, there are temptations 
for our minds, our affections to be drawn in many different places. But Lord, we want to set our affection on things above today. Pray that you'd speak to our hearts. We ask you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to begin uh, today, this morning, thinking about the promise of a Savior. Now, I fully understand that a person could know nothing about the prophecies concerning Christ. A person could know nothing about the promises given to Abraham and to his seed. They could know nothing about the Jewish history. But if they know that Jesus came and lived and died and was raised on the third day and offered salvation... They could be saved without knowing all that. But we more fully appreciate the birth of Christ when we understand the history of why he came and how he came. You know, if someone were to ask you this simple question, you know, when did the Christmas story begin? Um, People might say, well, it began when the angel made this announcement to Mary that she was going to give birth to a child. Or they might say, well, it began when uh, the decree came for Joseph and Mary to leave Nazareth in Galilee and go down to Bethlehem in Judea to fulfill a government obligation. Or they might even look further back and say, it really began with the announcement 700 years before the birth of Christ when Isaiah wrote about a virgin that would one day conceive and have a son. And all of those have to do with the Christmas story. But actually, you'd have to go back a lot further to really appreciate um, this miraculous event that we celebrate at this time of the year. You'd have to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, that God placed in a perfect environment without sin, where they walked in uninterrupted communion, closeness with God. Now, it's worth thinking about that every once in a while. What it was like before sin came into the world. We can only imagine what it was like for Adam and Eve to have this intimate fellowship with God. Imagine that. And yet we all know, if you know anything about the Bible, that something horrible happened there. That first couple, Adam and Eve, rebelled. They chose to disobey God's command. And the moment they did that, something horrific happened. Their fellowship with God was broken because sin separated them from God. Sin had entered the human race. It was sad enough that it happened to Adam and Eve, but that sin passed upon all of their descendants. And so all of us are sinners by nature. We, we sin because we are sinners by nature. Sin passed upon the whole human race. So the question is, what would God do? In response to this, this horrific thing that happened, would God just choose to live alienated from men and women that He created for the purpose of fellowship with Him? What would God do? And way back in Genesis, we have a statement that God made to the serpent, Satan, who deceived uh, Adam or tempted Adam, and Adam and Eve sinned. And this was the statement, part of the statement. 
And I'm going to just quote it for you. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Talking to the serpent, Satan. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between thy seed, your offspring, and her seed. So there, in, this, in this turmoil after the sin entered the world, in that very same chapter, God said there would be conflict between the, the seed of the serpent and the seed of woman. But he also said this, the seed of woman would bruise the serpent's head. Now, we know biologically, as far as reproduction goes, the woman does not have the seed. And so what does this mean that the seed of woman would bruise the head of the serpent? It means basically that there would be a woman who had never known a man, who had never had intimate relationships with a man, that there, a child would be born to that virgin woman and that man would crush the head of the serpent. This was the promise thousands and thousands of years ago. And a later part of that same statement, as I'm talking about this statement in Genesis 3, the offspring of Satan would bruise the heel of the seed of woman, of that man. So the, the offspring of Satan would bruise the heel of this man born of a virgin. Which means that the serpent or Satan would temporarily wound the man born without a human father. And so who is this man? That's the question. We're talking about who is this man written about virtually from the beginning of time? The offspring of a woman who would be the fulfillment of this promise. And if you, if you look at the Bible in, in its entirety, you see how God began in the first book of the Bible to prepare the stage for what we celebrate in this season and what we read about in verse 4, if you look there again. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. You know, in the beginning, the entire human race was related to Adam and Eve, right? All in some way or another, related to Adam and Eve. At the time of the flood, the entire world was destroyed. All the population of the world was restored, was destroyed. Only Noah's family survived. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Shem would be the son through whose line the Jewish people would come. The Hebrew people were descendants of Shem. Matter of fact, it says this about Shem way over in the first part of the Bible about Shem, in thy seed, think about this, in thy seed, Shem's descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And from Shem came Abraham. Abraham was in the line of Shem. As a matter of fact, if you're looking there in Galatians 3, 29, where we read, it says, and if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So this line that would produce this man, born without a human father, began with Adam, it, it continued through Shem, it continued through Abraham, and through Abraham's son Isaac, the seed continued, and through Isaac's son Jacob, and through Jacob's son Judah, down all the way to David, and if you read the genealogy of Christ, all the way to Joseph and Mary, this 
promised line continued. Where a man would be born who would conquer Satan and restore what was lost in the Garden of Eden. And the child that we celebrate, born in Bethlehem, who had no human father, born of a virgin, the seed of woman, would bring salvation to the human race. Now again, you can celebrate Christmas and the meaning of Christmas without thinking about all that, but it's really amazing when you think about God's providence and God's wisdom and the fulfillment of God's promise. That's what we're talking about today, the promise of a Savior. The serpent, of course, as we read, would inflict a temporary bruise on the heel of Jesus. And that was when he died on the cross. He would bruise the heel of the seed. But Jesus, the seed of woman, would rise from the dead and deliver a crushing blow to Satan. So the promise of a Savior promised in the Garden of Eden, not just in Luke's Gospel, not just in Matthew's Gospel, not just in the writings of Isaiah, but promised in the Garden of Eden. The seed of woman was born in the manger in Bethlehem. So we have the promise of a Savior. But then let's look at our text in Galatians chapter 4, and let's just look a bit about the arrival of the Savior. Verse 4 says of chapter 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Notice the phrase in verse 4, God sent forth His Son. God sent forth His Son. God did not create His Son. His Son was already in His presence and had been for eternity. The second member of the Trinity. God didn't make His Son. He sent forth His Son. We refer to to this doctrine as the deity of Christ. That Jesus Christ, born in a manger, was the eternal God. Jesus was co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Spirit. He was born, young person, in a stable, but that was not His beginning. He had no beginning. Jesus is eternal But God sent him forth. The language is very clear in verse 4. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. He would be made, look in verse 4, made of a woman. This is his humanity. He had a human birth, but Jesus had no earthly father. He was made of the woman. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. This afternoon in the service we'll talk more about that in the message. Now think about this. In order for Him to save us, in order for Jesus to save us, first of all, He had to be God. Because the sacrifice had to be infinite. It had to be ongoing. It had to have, he had, the sacrifice had to have power over sin and death. No human could fulfill that. He had to be God. But second of all, in order to save us, He had to be man. Because He had to die. But He had to die without spot and without blemish. The sacrifice had to be pure. It had to be perfect. He had to die not for his sins, but for the sins of others. He had to be God. It had to be infinite, but he had to be man, a sacrifice for sin. Look what it says in verse 4. He says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. That means that Jesus was subject to the law. He was responsible to the laws of God and the laws of man. 
He was responsible to obey the laws. But like no other man ever, ever, he perfectly obeyed and kept every law. He never sinned. He was without sin. This is how he came sent forth, sent forth from heaven, sent forth from God. He came to the earth, born of a virgin, to become the sacrifice of our sin. So we see, first of all, the promise of the Savior, and then we see the arrival of the Savior. And now we want to look at our relationship with the Savior. Let's go back to verse 29 of Galatians 3 and just kind of refresh our memory. It says, And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now Paul is writing to believers. He's writing to save people. If you're Christ, then you're an heir according to the promise. But then he tells us again, I want to reread verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. He gives them like an illustration, an example. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. The heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a servant. He's no different from a slave. Now he is potentially a reigning son. He's potentially royalty. But he's no different than a servant until what? The time appointed in the father. Until the father decides. And the father makes that decision. He's giving an illustration here, primarily I think to... Uh, people who have con- were conflicted about the, ju- the relationship of Jewish history and, and Christianity. And so he's giving him this, this illustration. Now, I put myself in this illustration. You know, when we were lost, we were living in sin. We were servants or slaves to sin. I know everybody doesn't necessarily see it that way, but that's the way the Bible says it is. We were servants of sin. A person can be a good person and be a servant of sin. A servant of their own pride. A servant of their own self-righteousness. We were, we, as, as lost people, we were all enslaved to sin. And that's where I was, that's where you were before you were saved, and that's where you are if you've never been saved. We were slaves to sin, but we had the potential to be the sons of God. It'd be, hard to, it'd be hard to imagine that, look back in our life, especially those of us who were saved as adults, to look back at our life and, and see how we were living at one time and say, you know, those people living in sin, those selfish people, those prideful people, those ungodly people, those, those uh, arrogant people, those self-willed people, they have the potential... They have the ability to become the sons of God. That'd be hard to imagine, wouldn't it? Would have been in our life. We had the potential to be heirs. Heirs of everything that God had planned for us. Everything that God has promised us. All the inheritance that God wants His children to have. We had the potential to have that, but we were enslaved. We were in bondage to sin. But verse 4 says, I keep looking back to it, but when the fullness of time was come... God sent forth His Son. The time that Jesus came 
that was determined and appointed of the Father. I believe that Jesus made his appearance, made it his arrival at the precise moment that God intended for him to be born. It wasn't just like an uh uh-oh or we got to throw this thing together. No, it wasn't that at all. In the providence of God, in in the foreknowledge of God, when God spoke to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 and says, there's going, to come a, there's going to come a man born of a woman without a human father who will be born in a stable in Bethlehem. They weren't even from Bethlehem. They were from Nazareth. This was the providence of God working. And at the precise moment, that Jesus was to be born. He was born. Uh, The time appointed of the Father. God sent forth His Son, made of a woman. Look what it says in verse 5. To redeem them that were under the law. He was made under the law. And He came to redeem them that were under the law. That we might receive the adoption of sons. Jesus came into this world, the seed of woman, born of a virgin, the precise moment that God the Father determined to provide the means for sinful men to be reconciled to God. That's reason to celebrate. So then the question, then how can we be saved? How does a person become a son of God? How does a person go from being a slave to sin to becoming God's son? If you have your Bible open still in Galatians 3 and 4, look if you would please in verse 26 of chapter 3. A related statement says, For ye are all the children of God. Now if he stopped right there, you could believe what a lot of people who are misinformed believe today. That you're all, we're all the children of God. Everybody's a child of God. But the statement doesn't stop there. For you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. What makes us children of God is our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way we become the children of God. You're the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible teaches. This is the only gospel there is. In John's gospel words that you're familiar with. He said this, John the Beloved, as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And what happens when a person believes on his name? Look in verse 5. They receive, last part of verse 5, we're still in Galatians 4 and 5. They receive the adoption of sons. When a person receives Jesus Christ and believes in Jesus Christ for salvation, they become the adoption of sons. They receive the adoption of sons. That's amazing to me. Though all of us, every one of us in this room have sinned. We become God's children through faith in His Son. This is God's plan. Declared Declared from immediately after the first man and woman, that the seed of woman would bring salvation, would deliver us from our fallen state, and that God would adopt us into His family. 
making us His children. But we have to receive Him by faith. It's, none of us deserve. Most of the people in this room are saved. None of us deserve to be saved. None of us deserve to be in God's family. Why would God let me in His family? We don't do it because we deserve it. You know why we're in God's family? It's not because we deserve it. It's because we've believed on Jesus Christ. Because we've received the gift of eternal life. Because we've received Him as our Savior. I ask you this today, and I ask you this in earnest. Have you done that? Can you point to a time in your life when you turn to God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ? That's what this is all about. The seed of woman, the virgin-born Son of God, promised many thousands of years prior to His appearance in Bethlehem, became the sacrifice for our, would become the sacrifice for your sins. There is only one sacrifice for your sins. It's not in religion. It's not a denomination. And people are so misinformed, they say, well, Hindus and Confucius and you know, Muhammad and all these different belief systems, you know, they're all going the same place. No, they're not. God made one provision for our salvation. That's through His Son, Jesus Christ. Has that, have you done that? Has that happened to you? Have you been born again, born again, changed, converted because of your faith in Jesus Christ? You don't, you don't get serious about religion so you can get saved. You receive Jesus Christ so you can be saved. If you hadn't done that, or if you have doubts about that, I urge you to do something about that today. I urge you, I urge you, in the name of Christ, to make that a serious decision, a serious matter for your life. Anyone ought to have concerns. If they claim to be saved, if they think they're saved, and they yet have no real allegiance to Christ, no real love for Christ, no really desire to commit to Christ. I, I, I have, you have reason to question, have I really been born again? Am I truly a child of God? And if you're not, you ought to come to Christ today. In this service, you ought to say, I, this is what I need. I need salvation. I'm, you know, one of these days, if you don't believe it now, you're going to believe this. One of these days that the most important thing you will ever consider in your life is what you do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. There are no second chances. You know, you can be wrong about a lot of things in life. You can make light of a lot of things that ought to be important to you. You can, you can disregard things that would be for your benefit, but the consequences could be great, they could be minimal, but the consequences of this neglect are eternal. And it's either heaven or hell. And I said this earlier, and I say it with, with sincerity. I'm not saying to be judgmental or critical. When I, when I see that people don't love the Lord, they don't really worship God. They're not into praising God. They have no, no real rejoicing in their heart about the gospel. There's something wrong in the life of that person. Seriously wrong. And, and very probably it's because they've never been saved. If you haven't done... If you haven't made this certain, you ought to make it certain today. And by the way, we're here to help you do that. Let's read on just a little bit further. Look in our text in verse 6. In verse 5 he says, you've received the adoption of sons. And in verse 6 he says, and because you are sons, because you are presently a son of God, 
God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. See, when you receive Jesus, the Spirit of God takes up residence in your life. You have a relationship with God. There's something within you, not something you do, something within you that cries out to God as your Father. You don't learn that. You don't tack that on later. That happens the moment you get saved. His Spirit within His sons. If you're His child, His Spirit, God's Spirit within His children cries out to God as Father. There's communion with God. There's intimacy with God. There's a relationship with God. And if that's missing in your life, it's because you're not saved. Plain and simple. It's because you're not saved. God is our Father. Because our sins have been forgiven. Because our sins have been cleansed and washed and removed. We're no longer separated from God. We were once, as Paul illustrated these people here in this chapter, we were once slaves of sin, servants to Satan. But the seed of woman redeemed us from our bondage. And God adopted us as His sons. Verse 7, Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son than an heir of God through Christ. We inherit all that God has for us. Even though we don't deserve it, even though sin had separated us from God, even though we lived a life of sin, but through Jesus Christ and our faith in Him and our new birth, we are now heirs of God through Christ. Imagine that. I know that every case is different, but I personally think It would be a pretty miserable life not to be saved and yet feel obligated to try to live like you were saved. Like to be in church and you got to act a certain way. But it's not in your heart to do it. It's It's not there. That'd be a pretty miserable, and I personally, that's why some people bail out. That's why it says in John's, John's epistle, they went out from us because they were not of us. We're, 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 not a ser- we're, not, we're not in this as slaves or servants. We've been set free. We're in it as sons. He's our Father. And we love Him. We adore Him. We worship Him. We're not working and striving to earn God's approval. We're adopted children by faith in Jesus Christ. And His Spirit within us relates to Him as our loving and caring Father. So let's read that verse again in in closing. Verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. For the majority of the people in this room today who are saved... This never gets old. Amen? It never gets old. It's the greatest news I've ever heard. And I, I can't get over it. 
that God would let me be in his family. That God would forgive me of my sins. That God would accept me. That God would adopt me as one of his children. That's an amazing thing. And if you're saved today, you know what I'm talking about. And you rejoice today in the goodness of God and that God is your Father. None of us are perfect. None of us live every day, every moment of every day the way we know we should. But if you're saved, there's something inside of you that just wants to have fellowship with your Father. He put the Spirit of His Son within your heart that cries, Abba, Father. That's a word of intimacy, like a daddy. It's a, it's a word of closeness and communion. We rejoice in that. If you're here today, though, and you don't know anything about what that means, you just can't relate to it. You don't have that relationship with God. Listen, you've heard it so many times. Most of you in this room, it kind of just falls on deaf ears maybe, but there's a, there's a world of difference between religion and a relationship with God. If all you have is just a, a list of rules... In, in, in trying to meet up to some standard of how Christian, if that's all you have, you're, you're not saved. You're not saved. It's not that. It's, we, we've been adopted as sons. We're no longer servants. We're sons. Isn't that a blessed thing? And God is our Father. And if you're here today and you're not saved, I pray that God would just open your eyes and help you to see and that today you would come to Christ. That'd be, you say, well, I couldn't do that. Why couldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you do that? If your pride keeps you from coming to Jesus Christ, your pride will keep you from getting saved. Your pride will take you to hell forever. Pride is a monster. And there are probably people right here today, you know, in your heart of hearts, you really know that you're not saved. Or you have serious doubts about it. You ought to come today. Let someone talk to you and pray with you and help you see how to be saved. Amen? And if you are saved, just rejoice that we're no longer servants, but we're sons.